This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, and we are rolling along here in week number one of the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs. Been a lot of great storylines. We're going to get to as much as we can here in the next 30 to 45 minutes. We're going to start with a little discussion on who, in my opinion, is the best defenseman in all of hockey. But a little bit later in the show, we'll talk about the fact that this is kind of starting to become the year of the backup goalie in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll discuss all of the situations where we're seeing not preliminary starters playing for teams and it not necessarily going poorly for those teams. And then, of course, we're just going to do a full wraparound as every single series is now shifting to a different location the two first home games for every series has been played only two series are at two to nothing meanwhile the other six are all knotted up at one which makes for great drama heading into the second half of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs but let's start here last night the Nashville Predators they tried their their damnedest they really did and it was a much better showing than what they had in game one. It it would have been hard to top how poorly they played in game one and just how badly they got completely ran out of ball arena over in Colorado. But the one takeaway that I have from last night, although it could be Connor Ingram, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but the one main takeaway that I have after watching that game last night, how good is Kale McCarr. This is not anything new to anybody that has paid attention to this kid's career. He's in his third season as of right now, and most people think of him as one of, if not the top defenseman in the National Hockey League. But the kid is 23 years old. Do we forget what it used to be like for young defensemen in this league? You were not the top-tier defenseman until probably your sixth, seventh year. And even if you go back to Like 2015, the Norris Trophy, which all but has his name on it already for this season, was usually given to a defenseman that had been there for a while, similar to how the Selkie is still voted upon today. It was given to guys like Mark Giordano a couple years ago. Victor Hedman was taken at home a lot. Eric Carlson was taken at home a lot. Drew Doughty was getting victories. Duncan Keith was always in there. But this wasn't from the age of 23. It almost seemed like the contending window and the competing window for Norris Trophy was like 26-year-old defenseman. This kid finished in second place at the age of 22 and is going to win his first Norris Trophy at the age of 23. Right now, he's the odds-on favorite at show sponsor DraftKings at minus 125. So even though it's not a great value pick, You could still make a little bit of money if you go put some money on Kale McCarr. If he does not win the Norris, then there's something wrong with the voting. Which, I mean, 
is not too far off considering how the NHL awards are usually voted upon. But I would say he's a pretty safe bet to win that award this year. He won the Calder Trophy in his rookie season back in 2019-20. And realistically, he has been an electrifying, can't-miss prospect since he entered the league in his first ever game in the Stanley Cup playoffs back in 2019 for the Colorado Avalanche. He is just that good. Now, there has been sort of a renaissance in the National Hockey League with young, puck-moving, talented, high-scoring defensemen. But make no mistake, the leader of that group and the best of that group is undoubtedly Kale McCarr. You look at Quinn Hughes, who McCarr was fighting with for the Calder. McCarr won that out. McCarr is better. You look at Adam Fox, who just barely etched out McCarr for the Norris Trophy last year. Deservedly so. I'm not taking anything away from Adam Fox. He's an incredible talent. I would take Kale McCarr nine days out of ten. You know. Miro Haskinen, same level there. Rasmus Dahlin, same level there. I'm imagining we're going to see Owen Power close to the same level there. But none of them are going to be as good as Kale McCarr is for the Colorado Avalanche. His pure skating ability alone might be enough to make him the best defenseman in the league. Like, the advantage that he has, being able to toe the blue line the way he does, being able to glide through the offensive and the defensive zones the way he can, is unparalleled. It's something that we haven't seen anything close to since the peak days of Eric Carlson. And even then, it wasn't the same. How smooth Kale McCarr is able to just get across the ice with the puck, that is something that I have never seen in my lifetime. I unfortunately am not old enough to have watched Ray Bork, to have watched Bobby Orr. So I'll leave it up to those that have to tell me whether or not that is a comparable, because I just don't know. But the closest thing that I have to look at is peak Eric Carlson with the Ottawa Senators. And he was great. Don't get me wrong. He put himself probably in the Hall of Fame because of just a two to three year sample size. But the skating ability of Kale McCarr to me is is on another level than even that Eric Carlson. So this is the best that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And he's had an incredible season. It's been a career year for McCarr in every basic facet. I mean, the Colorado Avalanche didn't win the President's Trophy this year, but they did win it last year. They came in second this year for the President's Trophy. So a lot of team success to come out of his personal success as well. 77 games played, the most he's ever played in a season up to this point. Career highs in goals, in assists, in points, and in plus-minus. Now, you will not often hear me talk about plus-minus as a stat with any backing whatsoever. And realistically, it isn't. Unless it is drastically one way or another. Unless you're wearing the gold jacket with the lowest minus in the league, or unless you are a top five plus minus player in the league, and it's ridiculous. A plus 48 this year is simply ridiculous for Kale McCarr. Even more ridiculous is the fact that that was good for fifth in the National Hockey League. 
That is the second best among defensemen. You know who else has a better plus minus than him among blue liners this year? His teammate, Devon Taves. So if you're the Colorado Avalanche, you're feeling pretty good right there about having those two. The other three are, of course, the first line for the Calgary Flames because they were just above and beyond ridiculous this year. But Kale McCarr, not only did he set career highs and all those marks, he led the league in goals for, for defensemen. He was second in points only to Roman Yossi, who right now he's showing up in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, I wouldn't say showing up because Yossi doesn't have the help that Kale McCarr does. But dang, I mean, it is it is an outmatched battle right now between those two teams. And like I said, second and plus minus among defensemen, Devon Taves, who I'd have to check. I think they're actually D partners. So that even just goes right into the lore of Kale McCarr. Because again, plus minus is a stat that could basically be, you know, a passenger stat. If you're on the ice, you get that plus, even if you're not in the play. Kale McCarr is usually in the play whenever the Colorado Avalanche score a goal and he's on the ice. So that's what I take into effect for that. If you look at his underlying numbers too, it's not that he's just an offensive defenseman. This guy does so well, and it might be to the to the fact that, yeah, he has the puck so much, he is in the offensive zone so much, that his underlying numbers are elevated by that fact, but isn't the best defense to not have it in your zone at all? That's what Kale McCarr brings. Not only that, but his pure skating talent and ability allows him to be in the right place at the right time, matched with his hockey IQ. That's why he's such a dominant defenseman in this league. Looking at his underlying numbers this year, 55.71 Corsi 4 percentage. Outstanding. 57% of the expected goals when he's on the ice at 5-on-5. Also outstanding. 57% of the scoring chances for, and 55% of the high danger chances for. So this is a guy that every time he's out there every game that he's playing in he is getting the better of the matchup whenever he's on the ice every single time and surprisingly those numbers are down from last season <laughs> like last year he was in the 60s in all of these categories this is a 23 year old defenseman folks he is just that good and you ask well, okay, is it just one season? I already told you that his underlying numbers were better last year. And he finished in second in the Norris. That's just how good Adam Fox was. But his career in his third season so far, 178 games played, 48 goals, and 180 points. And he's a plus 77, by the way. 180 points and 178 games played. Being over a point per game as a defenseman is just unfair, basically. In a league where we have started to see defensemen score much more, and we'll get into the all-time discussion in a couple minutes, but in a league where there is a lot more scoring from the back end, this is still above and beyond anything that we have seen from somebody at this stage of their career. 180 points in 178 games played. That is absolutely ridiculous. If you're a Colorado Avalanche fan, you must be ecstatic. I mean, they saw Ray Bork finally win his cup, but this kid is something special. He is something different. Not to say that he's going to be better than Ray Bork, not to say that he's going to be better than Bobby Orr, because those are very, very large accusations to be putting on a kid at such an early stage of his career. But he has the potential 
to finish. If he can continue this and if he can grow his game and continue to get better, which from all indications point to the fact that he will, I could see him potentially being a top 10, maybe even a top 5 defenseman of all time. Potentially. I don't want to overreact too much because it is only his third season. Because he will be winning his first Norris Trophy this year. But if you look at the guys in that top 10, obviously, Hall of Famers, they all deserve to be there. They've all earned that right. Kale McCarr hasn't earned that right yet, but what I am seeing, the intangibles, the talent, the way that he plays the game and the way that the game is played just molds together so well that I think his career could potentially be considered amongst the top 10 of all time, potentially even top five. To me right now, if I look at the top six or seven defensemen, Bobby Orr, 100% is number one. Then you look at Doug Harvey, Dennis Potvin, Ray Bork, Nick Lidstrom, Larry Robinson, Paul Coffey. These are the type of guys that Kale McCarr is on the trajectory to getting his name included with, which is clearly Hall of Fame. I'd be surprised if he doesn't win a Stanley Cup or two, but obviously we know that is that is very difficult to do, and that is no matter of how talented a person is. Look at Ovechkin, he only has one. But the team that he's on right now, you would have to imagine that Kale McCarr's name is going to be on the Stanley Cup. At least I would. I They're a favorite this year. He's going to win multiple Norris trophies. He's going to be a 8, 9, 10-time NHL All-Star. Going to be an NHL first-team All-Star, first-team All-Pro selection. I'm sure if they ever go back to the Olympics, he's going to win some gold medals. Like, there, there, there's no way that he doesn't, to be completely honest. So he'll have the international resume. He's going to be a Hockey Hall of Famer if he stays on this trajectory. That's how good he's been. He added last night, obviously, at the heels of his first career playoff overtime winner. He's a leader on that defense. He makes everybody better. If we remember, Ryan Graves led the league in plus minus, was it last year or two years ago? You know who Ryan Graves was preliminarily playing with? Kale McCarr. Playing on this Colorado Avalanche team has its perks. But damn, I mean, this kid is just that good. So I will watch him every chance that I can. And I suggest that you do the same. Let's move on here because I think I've talked about, yeah, McCarr for 15 minutes is, is a lot. But honestly, he is he has just been that special. And I, I don't think he's getting enough credit for the way that he's been playing. This is the year of the backup, though. The year of the backup in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now, don't get me wrong. There is still a place for starters going out there and being phenomenal. Jacob Markstrom had a shutout in his first game. Jack Campbell had a shutout in his first game. We saw Andre Vasilevsky be an absolute stud in game number two of that series. But it's the year of the backup. When else can you remember? Not only is there a story about a backup goalie coming in and performing pretty well. There are three stories in the first four days of the Stanley Cup playoffs, of backup goalies coming in and performing very well, and in multiple situations, getting their team the victory. Starting in Pittsburgh, Tuesday was ridiculous. We'll talk about that game in the second half of this segment. I know it was a couple days ago, 
But, sorry, the second segment of this show. Not the second half of the segment. Not only did Casey DeSmith come in, start his first career playoff game for the injured Tristan Jari, who has a fractured foot. Not only did he play extremely well throughout all of regulation, play extremely well holding down the fort in the first overtime, and start the second overtime pretty well before going out with a groin injury. It doesn't look like he's going to be back for the season. Or sorry, the series, I should say. He might be back if they get into the second round and, and still need his services. But not only did Casey DeSmith look great, but Louis Domingue, King Domingue, Lord Louis, whatever they're calling him in Pittsburgh, comes in cold in the middle of a second overtime at 10.30 o'clock at night. Makes 17 saves on 17 shots and seals the deal for the Pittsburgh Penguins to win a game in triple overtime in game one on day two of the Stanley Cup Finals. A third string goaltender that had played, checks notes, two games in the National Hockey League all season. Now, one of them was a 40 save performance against the San Jose Sharks back in February, but coming in in that position and doing something like that Absolutely incredible. Getting the win, by the way. Louis Domingue, Stanley Cup playoff win. And then he did play in game two last night. And while, yeah, they lost five to two, I I don't blame that loss on Louis Domingue. He played a really good game. Two of those five goals were deflections right in front. Difficult to save. I mean, obviously you want to make every save possible, but very good deflections by both Ryan Strom and Chris Kreider. The fourth goal, which ended up being the backbreaker, was just tossed in front of the net by Artemi Panarin. and there was nobody there except for Mike Matheson, who for some reason was a foot away from the net and just deflected it in off his own skate. So I thought Louis Domingue did a really good job. I mean, he's a third-string goaltender playing a road playoff game when his team is also down. I believe they, they were down Brian Dumlin, who's a top defenseman. I mean, both teams had injuries, so that's not an excuse, but... Nonetheless, Louis Domingue, really good performance. Connor Ingram, speaking of good performances from last night, I talked about it earlier on when I was praising Kale McCarr that, you know, Nashville stayed in that game and gave Colorado a much tougher, much tougher road to that victory. But realistically, it was Connor Ingram. It's not like Nashville's defense was playing well. Ingram made 49 saves on 51 shots last night. You know, Kale McCarr, did beat him in overtime, but coming in as a, oh yeah, third string goalie once again. This isn't the year of the backup. This is the year of the third stringers. That's how I should have titled this. It's the year of the third string goaltenders because Connor Ingram with UC Soros, obviously not healthy for the start of the playoffs. Dave Rich played in game one and oh, that was an ugly, ugly sight. The Avalanche just completely sent him out of the building packing. Connor Ingram gets to start in game two, because if you're Nashville, you're like, what else are we going to do? And he makes 49 saves on 51 shots. An absolutely phenomenal performance. If they would have won that game, he would have been the top story in all in, in all the playoffs. Literally. I, I know Domingue in triple overtime is hard to beat, even with his spicy pork and, and broccoli, which is another amazing story. Uh, but... Connor Ingram had a performance for the ages last night, a great performance, not to mention the fact that he's the third-string goaltender for the Nashville Predators. And lastly, the Carolina Hurricanes, who this is working out for the best out of all of these teams because they currently have a 2-0 series lead with the series shifting to Boston in Game 3 later on tonight. Not only 
is Freddie Anderson. He's close and on the mend. So they might be getting their top goaltender back here soon. But he was not ready for the beginning of the playoffs. So no Freddie Anderson. That means backup onto Ranta. Well, Ranta shut down the Boston Bruins in game one. And you're like, okay, cool. Backup goaltender, that's the story. Well, then David Posternock hits him with a Superman punch in the first period of game number two. Ranta had made six saves on six shots at that point, was looking solid again. Gets hit with the Superman punch from Posternock. He's out. We don't know his status. I kept trying to check before doing this. Wasn't able to find a status on him. But then Pyotr Kochikov. Not only is he a third-string goaltender. Shoutouts to the third-strings. He is a rookie third-string goaltender. He had been playing fairly well down the stretch of the regular season. But this is an entirely different animal. This is the playoffs. Against the Boston Bruins. Who, if you remember from Tuesday's episode, I did take the win this series in seven games. And for the reasons, chief among them, that the Carolina goaltending situation kind of worried me. Well, I'm man enough to admit when I was wrong, and I was 100% wrong about the, the goaltending situation for the Hurricanes. It could still go horribly wrong tonight in Game 3. As I always say, series doesn't begin until a team loses at home. That hasn't happened in Boston, Carolina. But the way Ronta was able to play, the way Kochikov was able to play in Game 2 coming in relief, 30 saves on 32 shots. The Hurricanes won it by a score of 5-2. Let's not forget the fact that the Carolina Hurricanes are one of the best defensive teams in all of hockey. So they're certainly going to insulate a guy that's playing in his first season, let alone first playoffs, and is their third-string goaltender. I mean, they insulated a Zamboni driver from Toronto a couple years ago, for Christ's sakes. But you know what I liked even more than Pyotr Kochikov winning Game 2 for Carolina? This man is not afraid of anything. This man is not afraid of anyone. Brad Marchand was doing Brad Marchand things. If we remember, he was suspended six games earlier in the season because he lost his cool and went after a goaltender. Well, started to do it again. Goes in, bodies Kochikov, and instead of, you know, just looking at him and jawing at him, Kochikov goes back at him, shoves him. I'm like, all right, all right, Piotr. Then Marshawn turns around, slashes him, and guess what? He got into his head, and he got into his paycheck, too. Marshawn was fined $5,000 for slashing Kochikov, and guess what? He has all that goalie gear on. That didn't hurt. There's no way that hurts. So that you're getting in the head of one of the best players on the opposing team, and then you're going back to shutting them down. That's what I loved about that performance from the youngster. That was phenomenal. I hope he starts tonight because I got to get me some more of Piotr. I got to see a little bit more of this guy. I got to see him get his first NHL playoff start. I want to see him. Honestly, I have the Bruins in seven, and I I do think that playoff Boston Bruins are not going to go out as easily as they they went down in the first two games. But I want to see him dominate at TD Garden tonight. That's what I want to see because this is the year of the third string goaltenders. King Louie. King Deming, Lord Louis, whatever you call him in Pittsburgh, he performed really well last night despite not getting the win. Connor Ingram, they might have a chance to win a game or two because of Connor Ingram if he can keep that performance up. Fantastic from the Nashville third stringer. And then, of course, Piotr Kochikov, my favorite of all three of these guys. I love him. 
you know, being in a young rookie like that and just looking at, at Marshawn basically being like, I'm not taking your shit. Look at the scoreboard. Look at how many saves I have to how many goals you have on me. This is not a fight that you are going to win today. And he stood up to, uh, I don't want to say the big bad beast because Brad Marchand is uh, more of a imposing garden gnome. The Bruins fans are going to hate hate this segment, I know. But, you know, I have respect for the Bruins. But, you know, when Marshawn does stuff like that, I can't, I can't, I, I can't help myself but just hate every second of it. But I do love the, the response from Coach Cub. You got to love to see it from a youngster like that, especially a goaltender who we all know, kind of psychotic. But I'm going to take a quick break here. When I return, let's wrap around the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Look at a couple of things. Best series. Who needs the series and scenery change the most? Best game of the playoffs so far. We'll talk about all that right after the break. What's going on, hockey fans? The pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter the outcome. Whether they win or lose, you're a winner. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Make sure to use promo code THPN and bet just $5 on any NHL team to win to get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Welcome back to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use the promo code THPN at the DraftKings Sportsbook app for great odds and even better opportunities. Well, games one and two for every Stanley Cup playoff first round series are in the books. The team that fought so valiantly and so hard in the regular season for home ice advantage. They got their first two games, and guess what? Only two of the eight teams took full advantage. Only two of the eight teams still have home ice advantage in the series. That's why you gotta love the Stanley Cup playoffs. Six of the eight series tied at one with the series shifting to the opposite city. The only series at two to nothing. I mentioned both of them in segment number one. Colorado leading Nashville after blowing them out in game one and then outlasting Connor Ingram in game two. And Carolina and Piotr leading 2-0 to on the Boston Bruins. So if you ask me which of those two teams, because that is the correct answer to this question, is, is one of those two teams, but which of those two teams needs the change of scenery a little bit more? It's got to be the Boston Bruins. Mainly because... 
I'm not sure there's any hope in Nashville. You know, I, I said it's not a series, and I say it with Boston confidently that it's not a series until somebody loses at home. The Avalanche aren't losing that series. I give it a 5% chance. And this could be old takes exposed. I know when you say something definite like that, it it, it can be opened up to uh, making me look bad. But 5% chance that Nashville comes back and wins the series against the Colorado Avalanche. If they had Soros, it would have already been a different story. But down 2 to nothing, even if they get Soros back, 5% chance. I love what Ingram did. But again, yeah, not good. But the Boston Bruins needed it more. Because they still have a chance. So they're 100% the correct answer to this question. The Boston Bruins, well, they're the Boston Bruins. No matter how bad they've been, once they get into playoffs, things just kind of change. We saw it in 2019. Things just kind of changed. And they went on to a run the whole way to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. TD Garden itself, the Garden up there in Boston, can be an absolutely brutal place for opposing teams in the postseason. The Carolina Hurricanes are built to withstand. I I think they really are. But the Boston Bruins, if there's anybody that I would think would have a massive advantage by going back to their home arena after losing the first two games of the series, even before this playoffs would have started, I would have said Boston needs it the most. But now that, you know, looking at the the landscape of the Stanley Cup playoffs four days in, it's still Boston, and even more so Boston now. They haven't had much success down in Carolina. But it doesn't mean that they're not a good team. Now, if they don't get Hampus Lindholm back, he did take a massive hit from Andrei Svechnikov in Game 2. That's going to hurt a lot. They also need their guys to get going. I mean, Taylor Hall scored the lone goal in game one. Pasternak kind of got going in game two. Same with Bergeron. They need to be better. They need their Jake DeBrusques, Charlie Coyles, you know, Charlie McAvoy's for that matter, to get on the score sheet. They need to get a lead against the Carolina Hurricanes. They have not led for a single second in this series. And a team as good as Carolina defensively, you cannot be playing from behind as much as the Bruins have been playing from behind and be able to find success against them. So I think the clear and obvious answer is the fact that the Boston Bruins really need this scenery change and really need to play a home game here. So I'm excited to see what happens later tonight. That game starts, I believe, at 7 o'clock. It's either 7 or 7.30, that one and the Maple Leafs lightning game. Speaking of Maple Leafs lightning, to me, that is, you know, if you're picking out one series, if you're just a hockey fan, or maybe if you're a fan of a team that didn't make the Stanley Cup playoffs, if you're a Kraken fan, for instance, or even maybe a Golden Knights fan, for instance, who are missing out on the playoffs for the first time since the Golden Knights have been in the postseason, uh, been in been in the league, sorry. And you need a series to watch. And you want to watch the most entertaining series. All indications are that that series has just moved to Tampa Bay. Because the Maple Leafs and the Lightning, the storylines write themselves, to be completely honest. But that series, knotted at one, 
has been everything you want in a playoff series. The superstars are performing. The hits are very heavy. The extracurriculars, I know you don't want to see people get injured. I don't either. But the face washing, the chirping, the battles, they're all right there. Wayne Simmons versus Pat Maroon. Underlying story. Jack Campbell. Can he get the job done for Toronto? Underlying story. Can Toronto get the job done in general? Versus a team that has gotten it done so well that they've won back-to-back Stanley Cups. Talk about polar opposite teams coming into this playoff series. Not to mention the fact that the talent on both sides is deeper than most other teams in the playoffs. If I was looking for talent pools that would probably rival these two, it's Colorado and it's Carolina. And then it's then it's these two, and they're not in any order. They're all right there. Austin Matthews is performing. Mitch Marner is performing. That's what makes the Maple Leaf side of this so much more interesting. There's tremendous talent. There's the storyline of playoff success versus playoff failure meeting in the first round. Will one team prevail and continue their success or will the other team prevail and get over that hump? And what happens once that happens? That's a storyline for a week and a half from now. But the best series to me, bar none, Toronto versus Tampa Bay. That just moved down to Tampa Bay for game three. It's going to be an incredible atmosphere at Amelie Arena, I would imagine. Always has been the last couple of years. So I'm intrigued to see the rest of that series. To me, that is the most must-watch series right ahead of Penguins-Rangers. Penguins-Rangers has given us the best game so far in the playoffs. And it's pretty easy to say that considering the fact that there was a triple overtime game. Like game one of the Penguins-Rangers series, as of right now, four days in, the best game of this playoffs simply because it was triple overtime. You can't go away from that. But then consider the storylines. The Rangers are playing their first home playoff game in five years at Madison Square Garden, the greatest arena in the world. Penguins start their backup goaltender. Rangers start the most likely Vezina Trophy winner, Igor Shosturkin. Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang, potentially their last dance with two of the three of them heading into free agency after this year. Against the Rangers who have Lafreniere, Kako, Panarin, Zibanejad, Kreider, 52-goal scorer, Adam Fox, Norris Trophy winner. It's already such a good series. There's already so much hype. Also because these two teams, despite the regular season series, on paper, are as evenly matched as any two teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then you have the physicality the Rangers brought early in game in the first period. You have a horrendous hit by Ryan Lindgren on Ricard Raquel, and obviously hoping for the best for Ricard Raquel. Made a five-minute major, reduced to a two, whatever you feel about that. It brought the drama up to a little bit past ten. 
Second period owned by the Penguins. All of a sudden, 3-3 three to three going into the third period. Who's going to win it? And it looked like the Rangers with about four minutes left in the game. The kid line, a bunch of first-round picks. Kako drives the net, bowls over to Smith, makes a great play to get the puck to Heedle, and he buries it. Well, challenge for goaltender interference. Mike Sullivan, shout-out to him. Apparently 8-for-8 eight eight on challenges this year. It's pretty solid. I guess we should give credit to the video coaches for the Pittsburgh Penguins because they're probably the ones that are making that call. Challenges it. Goaltender interference. Overturned. We're heading to overtime. First OT of the playoffs. It's great. Everybody's ready. Let's let's get this started. This is why we love playoff hockey. Nothing in the first overtime. Second overtime, I talked about it. Casey DeSmith leaves the game. Not only is it crazy that he left the game in double overtime and Deming had to come in cold and did what he did. The play was in the middle of happening. The Penguins were breaking the puck out of their zone. And then all of a sudden, the whistle is blown. Well, what's going on? DeSmith just casually skates over, says a few words to the trainer, and says, deuces, I'm out. Turns out he has a groin injury, probably going to be out for the rest of the series. But just calmly, even the look on the face of Jeff Carter of the Pittsburgh Penguins, when his own goaltender skated past him and went right out of the tunnel. He was like, what is going on here? Where are you going? Turns out he's injured in the second overtime. Game doesn't end. Goes into the third overtime. And then, of course, Evgeny Malkin with a triple overtime deflection past Igor Shosturkin. Let's not forget the fact that Igor Shosturkin was absolutely phenomenal in that game. I mean, if you put his season into perspective, it's been great on its own right. Add in that performance, even though it was a losing effort, and you automatically have probably one of the best years that a goaltender has had, just storyline-wise, and probably numbers-wise, since Carey Price won the MVP back in the early 2010s. He made 79 saves. 79 saves on 83 shots. The Rangers had, I think, like 67 shots on goal. The Penguins had 83 shots on Igor Shosturkin. To put that into perspective, that is the second most saves ever made by a goaltender in NHL history, only behind that marathon of a game, which was surprisingly also in game one back in 2020 between the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Lightning outmatched the Blue Jackets in that game because they were just outmatched entirely. And Jonas Corposalo made, I don't know, there was 88 shots on goal and he made more than 79 saves. But that game went into five overtimes. This game ended six minutes into the third overtime. And Shesterkin was five shots away from facing the most shots of all time. The Penguins just absolutely peppered Shesterkin way more than Corpusalo was peppered in the amount of time that he played. And Shesterkin was up for the challenge up until the very last goal where Malkin just gets a good deflection on it. That's a hard save to make if you're Igor Shesterkin. And it's not like he didn't make some 10-bell saves either. So that game itself was a whirlwind. It felt like an entire series was played in the matter of the five hours and one evening. And 
obviously. We're hoping that is not going to end up being the best game of the Stanley Cup playoffs because we want to see more of that. We did get that second overtime. That was last night with Kale McCarr. We want to see more double overtimes. Maybe a triple overtime. Maybe a quadruple overtime. I'm okay with it. I love sitting down and watching it. All I ask is that it's one of the games that starts at 7. <laughs> I do not want to start watching a game at 10.30 at night because I live on the East Coast. Say, potentially, a Kings-Oilers game that'll end at 4 a.m. local time for me. That's not interesting to me. <laughs> I would not like to do that, specifically because I really appreciate sleep. But nonetheless... And the last thing I was going to say is the biggest surprise, but I really talked about this series ad nauseum already. And that is the biggest surprise to me being the Bruins, not only down 0-2, but the way that they lost those two games. They really weren't in either of them. I mean, score-wise they were at one point in game one, but the Hurricanes just overpowered them. And I did not expect to see that. I know that the Hurricanes are the better team. I know that the Hurricanes are by far a team that most people can see going a lot further in the playoffs than the Bruins, but I was still very shocked to see how wide the discrepancy was between those two teams in games one and two down in Carolina. I don't know. I just expected a little more from the Bruins. Going around here, did I not mention any series? Uh, Florida versus Washington. I was surprised to see Washington win game one. Florida did exactly what I expected them to do in game two. That series is one-to-one. It's going to be big if Tom Wilson can't return for Washington. He scored the opening goal for them in game one. He did not play the rest of that game. Did not play in game two. He is such an integral part to what they do in the nation's capital that if he's not back, they're just it just goes on to the fact that they're already kind of outmatched on paper against this team. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, I've mentioned everything else in the East stars versus flames. Nice performance by Jake Ottinger last night. Very nice performance against the flames winning that one, two to nothing, obviously basically a one to nothing game plus an empty net goal from, I believe it was Michael Roffle. a really good performance, uh, by Jake Ottinger. I mean, anyway, you split it, Jake Markstrom on the other end, you know, that's how the cookie crumbles. You give up one goal, but you play on a Daryl Sutter coach team, so sometimes you're going to expect to not be able to score as many goals, even if you have the best line in all of hockey. Uh, so that's that series. I'm trying to think if I'm missing anything else. I barely mentioned the Kings versus the Oilers. We'll see game three tonight. You know, game two, McDavid came out, and, and they did exactly what you would expect the Oilers to be able to do in the playoffs, but they haven't been able to do it much in McDavid's career. It was nice to see that in game two. We'll see what happens when the series shifts tonight to LA. I don't think I missed any series. If I did, I'll catch them back next week. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Hockey Hotbed. Thank you so much for tuning in. The playoffs, again, in the first week. This is my favorite time of the Stanley Cup playoffs is the first round. We have been treated to a very entertaining first round at that. Six of the eight series nodded at one, heading to the other team's city We'll see how that plays out over the weekend, and we'll come back on Tuesday with more reactions and more storylines from the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll see you guys next week. Have a great weekend.